Petaluma, California. I heard there was a new radio station in town. Oh, oh, you mean Free Range Radio KPCA at 103.3 FM. Yeah, that's right. How did you know about that? Well, I just looked where all good information comes from, Facebook. Just follow the Free Range Radio KPCA page and join the discussion. Just keep it polite. Facebook? Yeah. Our on-air personalities will post updates and information on their shows, as well as events and news concerning the station. Petaluma People Services Center's mission is to improve the social and economic health of our community by providing programs that strengthen the dignity and self-sufficiency of the individual. Aging in place, family support, family preservation, and nutrition are key components of our service array and mission. As you can imagine, a nonprofit like this is successful because of the amazing volunteers that come together to support us. We have a variety of volunteer opportunities available, such as becoming a mentor for an at-risk youth in our Mentor Me program, participating in our iRide program by taking isolated seniors to their medical appointments, delivering medication, and delivering meals, making a daily call to an isolated senior in our You Are Not Alone program becoming a part of our home-delivered meals program, helping older adults in our community age in place, helping our Petaluma Bounty team on our production farm in downtown Petaluma, and more. If you're interested in volunteering, please contact volunteer at petalumapeople.org. You're living in an augmented reality controlled by machines. Your ears are being fed by algorithmic music. Take back control by letting me take you down to the underground. Stonebone Radio. together finally after how many months or how many years a year and a half yeah it, yeah well since March of yeah, 2020 uh, it, it feels good yeah. and, 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 and we've a, a bunch of phases here we we <laughs> went from not being on the air and playing repeats to you Jason and I being uh, on Zoom and pre-recording and then we moved to live with me in the studio and you and Jason right. on Zoom Yep, and now Janice and I are in Just so everybody knows, Cindy and I are triple vaccinated, so we feel very safe here, and that's why we don't have our masks on. Yeah, not only that, we're careful. Yes, we are. Yes, there's a lot to be said. We're, we're part of that age group. Yeah, <laughs> even though you're vaccinated, that doesn't uh, that doesn't cover all the bases. But that's being true. careful certainly does. Yes, and with the new COVID um, variants that's out there. You know, we'll see what happens, but it sounds like people who've had COVID might be more susceptible to it. So, um, watch, follow the science, and I'll be anxious to hear what Dr. Fauci has to say. Yeah, and I did just bring up Jason um, for you listeners who have been with us for a while. Jason Davies was co-hosting with us for uh, years. And uh, he has taken a hiatus, but he's still with us in the background, uh, providing some 
tech support, uh, making sure you have access to the archives. And um, thank you, Jason, for still being with us. Actually, I miss him. I, I like the threesome. Yeah. It was really fun, but love being just the two. But it's definitely a different dynamic to get used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But change is good sometimes. Change is good. Yeah. And there's, we might get him back. I hope know, so. Once he, once he settles everything in his life and feels comfortable, he's more than welcome to come back. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think we have a special guest today. Special? A special. Really special. Uh-huh. Yeah. Shall I introduce? Absolutely. All right, then. Uh, I'm uh, pleased to welcome today uh, Petaluma Police Chief Ken Savano, and good morning, Chief. How are you? Oops, hold on. There we go. Now we can hear you. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, <laughs> thank you for those kind words. I don't know if, uh, if special is necessary, but uh, as a member of the community and, and serving and leading the fine men and women of the Petaluma Police Department. It's an honor to be here with you this morning. Happy Friday, everyone. Thank you. And to you Happy too. Friday, yeah. Yeah, it's great. I'm really glad you're here, Ken. Thank you. It's, it's great. Thank you. you know, be, yeah. having that connection and uh, it's that, that it's the community feel right. when the chief comes and is willing to be on our show, which right. we totally appreciate it because you're an important part of our community. Yes, and as you mentioned, you're a member of the community, just like the rest of us. And so, um, yes. um, so with that said, um, tell us uh, about you. How long have you been a Pelham resident? Well, I've been in the community. I was uh, born uh, and raised over on Caulfield before they widened Caulfield to four lanes. I was going to La Tresera Elementary School. We're both and, uh, uh, old Adobe. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then... Um, when they widened Caulfield, my parents uh, moved me off of Caulfield up, up here to Katati, uh, which is where I am now, but I stayed connected at Pengrove Elementary, and I think ultimately the gas crisis uh, put me on a, a BMX bike to the closest middle school up here in Rotor Park, so I, I finished out up here, but then had the uh, the honor of getting into law enforcement at an early age while I was still in, law, or still in high school. And um, after, I don't know, five or six years working in Sebastopol, I took a full-time job with the city in 1994. And um, I've been there ever since. And it's been a great career, very challenging. Um, but I've been surrounded by not only a wonderful community, but really great people uh, who have signed up to, to be public servants. And uh, it's been an honor and a privilege to serve with them and the many men and women that served before me. And and many of the new ones that have joined recently that will serve uh, even after I move on. So um, it's been great. We have such a great community. They're very engaged. Uh, there's a lot of generosity, um, volunteerism. Uh, there's no shortage of people that are willing to help out their fellow community members, and that makes uh, our job easier. And we certainly realize uh, the importance of opportunities like this, right, to to build trust and confidence through relationships, and uh, I appreciate that opportunity this morning to, to reach more of our community members that we serve. I just want to say one thing I really appreciate you is I definitely write emails to you, <laughs> you know, some, you know, in all different uh, genres, and I always feel, even though if there could be some tension, I always know that you're still a friend and you're still somebody I would um, contact. And I have never felt as though I could not do that, even though we've had some contentious emails, which I well, appreciate. Sure. I, 
Yeah, I, I would I would argue they probably haven't been really contentious. There's I think only one. I think we're fortunate <laughs> that some of the issues that you and I have communicated about are on the scale of, of uh, community challenges and issues that we've been fortunate. Uh, if we really look at that list, I think we're all pretty blessed um, to live and work and call this home. So, uh, you know, I, 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 that may be your perspective. You've been certainly <laughs> gracious and thoughtful about my time and my attempt to try and be as responsive as possible. But well, I, I, I appreciate it very, very much. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I want to just on that note, if I could, is, you know, that's what we're here for, right? Uh, anyone in the community that would, that would like to have coffee or to have a conversation about a situation, even if it's not police-related, we, as members of this great city organization, we're ambassadors for the other city departments. And so it doesn't have to be uh, that you need me or a police officer. Um, you may be having a challenge with another issue somewhere else in the city and have a question, and we can get you connected to the right people. So... We're always happy to get an email, a phone call, have coffee. The door is always open. We're here to serve you. Well, I appreciate it because I'm a bulldog and I'll continue. And <laughs> just appreciate you. But, you know, with that um, conversation, I want to talk a little bit about um, the new, um, what's the new program that we have? Uh, safe. safe. The SAFE program. Yeah, specialized and, assistance for everyone. Yeah, and what I want to talk about is how is it being coordinated um, I want to talk about the importance of a dispatcher, especially when we go into a new program. How were, how was everybody educated on how to determine if you call the safe team or if police officers are involved? Well, first, I just want to say, um, let's talk about the, how the program is structured and how here in Petaluma we have deployed that resource. So. <clears throat> We, uh, my deputy chief, um, our deputy chief, Brian Miller, uh, was fortunate enough uh, through some hard work and perseverance to secure um, Ben Adam Clymer, who worked with the CAHOOTS program in Eugene, Oregon. And so we quickly evaluated and realized how experienced and knowledgeable uh, he was up there and the impact that he had. He worked uh, in the field as well as managed their program. So we contracted with him. And um, with the support of the council and the city manager's office, uh, we were very agile and moved quickly to get a vehicle and um, work to create a contract with the Petaluma People Services Center. As you know, Lee Semple and her team, uh, you want to talk about another gem in the community. We're blessed to have PPSC here. And they're already connected to so many services from, from our youth all the way to our, our seniors and everything in between. And so we've contracted with them. Uh, ben uh, was able to recruit uh, other members that uh, also appreciate the beauty of the North Bay and <clears throat> Northern California. And so we were able to bring in some experience and um, some quality staff that then helped us recruit and train uh, the entire team that is now deployed. We went from a 12-hour-a-day model to a 24-hour model uh, about a month ago now. And it's been a huge success. We have probably dispatched them uh, to between 500 and 750 calls now. Um, it's, it's working very well. The program has been so successful, we helped um, uh, Runner Park and Katati uh, roll their program out as well under PPSC. And, you know, it hasn't, 
there's always skepticism, right? But when it comes to properly uh, or appropriately dispatching calls for service based on the need, there isn't a police officer that I know that hasn't welcomed a safe program or the or a crisis intervention model because, as you know, the mental health um, institution was you know deinstitutionalized, and you know families and communities were forced to deal with mental health in a very real way. It pushed this issue into our streets and into our homes and. Without adequate resources, we've seen the tragic outcomes that can happen. And and police officers and 911 have been the you know the fallback, if you will, when a situation gets out of control. And what we really appreciate about the safe model is that it's it's not just crisis response. It's really about prevention and whole person care. And so having a paraclinician from mental health and a paraclinician for you know, medical teamed up together on our dispatch system so they hear all the calls that we're going to um, has been very, very effective. With respect to how the calls are prioritized, I know that some community members have expressed concern that our um, so-called, you know, police dispatchers, and, and really I want to emphasize that they are, you know, emergency 911 public safety dispatchers right there. We'll talk about their job in a moment. There's concern that a police dispatcher would um, maybe somehow be reserved in sending a call to SAFE rather than sending a police officer. And I can tell you there are many layers from SAFE monitoring the radio calls as well as the dispatcher screening to a supervisor and then a watch commander. So when we first started, I think we were, we were moving from muscle memory on certain call types where it automatically went to a police officer, and now you actually hear the police officers asking the dispatchers to send safe if they haven't already. And so there's been a complete shift, and it's been very welcoming because it allows the officers to focus on other issues that really need their attention. So um, it's been, um, it's exceeded our expectations, and I think now that we've been up and running, uh, December 31st will, will give us a good six months of data. Um, we're partnered with the county and the other cities to share our data. I know Santa Rosa is about to start their program uh, very soon, and it's just the right way to be um, helping people. And when someone, when a safe team can go and not impact a police officer, a firefighter, paramedic, even a basic life support ambulance, which is a level below an advanced life support ambulance, we are preserving those resources for things that they really need to be sent to. So it's been working very, very well. And I have to say not only thank you to um, Elise Hempel and PPSC, um, but, you know, our city council and city manager, the support that, that – and, and, and Youth for Cahoots, you know. There was a, yeah. a community effort to really raise awareness about this. And, and it's, been a, it's been an honor and a privilege and it, to see the benefit that it's brought to this community. Um, we're grateful. We're grateful that everyone's helped pitch in and create the resources to allow us to uh, implement the program and continue to evaluate it. Because I would watch the meetings and, and listen to the youth calling and supportive cahoots. And this went on for a long time. Who are those community members? I mean, where did, how, how were they formed? For supporting well, to do this is pretty impressive. Sure, no, it's great. Um, I know that as we, we had begun reaching out to cahoots early on, we, we recognized as part of reimagining policing, 
this was an opportunity that we couldn't miss. It, it all made sense. When you really understood the program and the model, there, there isn't a law enforcement agency or a public safety agency that would not embrace that kind of help. Um, we've seen now that San Francisco's has been up and running for a while. Um, and so we, we, were sh we made sure to reach out to that group. And, I, and I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that we also had them involved in our community um, advisory committee as well. Okay. Because they, our youth bring a unique perspective to these issues in the community. They've been very engaged, very involved, and they have a voice and we want to hear them. And they've been extremely helpful in building support and understanding for that model that helped us uh, see it through. I, thank you. I, you know, I, I really appreciate how you gave a different perspective and how when you started hearing what the youth were saying, you brought them in early. And I really respect the fact that they were tenacious, and, but they kept going to city council meetings. Because sometimes if you're not tenacious, things um, go backwards. And so this is good. You know, I, I have to say, um, you know, I'm on the general plan committee, and I was talking actually with somebody this morning about it. And for me, I really want to learn from people that have experience in areas that I have very little experience. And so, you know, that's how you make things better is by realizing that we don't know everything and we want to reach out to people that do so you can understand um, and formulate a better process and, and sure. outcome. So Yeah, you know, you're speaking to something I think that's fundamental in our service uh, delivery to this community. We, we call it in, in law enforcement procedural justice, but you just hit the nail on the head by saying better understanding, and it really starts with relationship. And, you know, a healthy relationship involves um, these four tenets, right? Voice, neutrality, dignity and respect, and trustworthiness and goodwill. And if any one of them are missing, it's typically not a good relationship and, and not a positive one anyway. And when those things are present and you, you are seeking to better understand others, rather than listening to respond because you're passionate about an issue and and that's the most important thing, rather than trying to understand why does the other person feel differently or have a different perspective. You know, that's really where we can accomplish great things in this community. Because whether we're dealing with a situation on the street as a uniformed police officer or a member of the general plan, everyone, you know, when we, when we do that and we, we try, we consciously think about better understanding others and what's important to other people. It makes for a better plan. It makes for a peaceful resolution, um, and and we work through challenging situations um, with good outcomes. And we strive for that every time we can. Um, we don't always get the good outcomes, but but that's what we're trying for. And so it's I think it's great that you touched on that, right? How how we interact with each other uh, in the community and how we move things forward. Well, Petaluma is it's a unique community. And I feel as though we've had an old guard for a long time. We have new people moving in. I feel like the old guard, their children are having a really time, harder time maneuvering. And sometimes if we would just pause and have conversations, you wouldn't have this, um, you know, adverse uh, reaction. And, you know, and I think that Petaluma has a unique opportunity, and that is one thing with the fairgrounds. Um, we really need to ha reach out and find out what the needs are instead of having a campaign of Save the Fairgrounds 
the dialogue has to happen. And even, Ken, when I was on the council, I was on that committee. And, you know, that's a lot of years ago. And what you have to realize in government, it takes a long time to get from A to B. But what I'm seeing today, and the CAHOOTS program is a perfect example, that you recognize the differences and why we need a change. And it was a group that really pulled together. And that was quick because in government, you know, like I say, when I was on the council, we were talking about the fairgrounds and we we're still talking about them. You actually implemented that program quickly and took it seriously. And what I really appreciate is how much in the background was being done as those the youth would go at, at public comment talking about the CAHOOTS program. And so I see a real change in this community, but it's a painful change when you've been here a long time and you have a mindset. And so, thank you. No, I appreciate that. And I, I think... Um you know, there's that saying, if you keep doing what you've always done, you know, you shouldn't really expect different results, right? And, yeah. and I think if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're acknowledging the ability to implement something rather quickly in government, we're great at wrapping things in red tape, right? Making it really difficult to unwrap them or cut through them. And in this case, you know, as a manager of the police department, you know, you, you empower your staff to identify the problem, find solutions. And then even above me, when, you know, the city manager and our, our elected officials um, remove obstacles and barriers and provide resources, that's when you can be agile and you can implement things that actually create significant positive change. And it doesn't have to take five years, 10 years, 15 years. So, um, but I, I also respect that, you know, Petaluma is different today than it, than it was yesterday. And... We have a lot of people in this community who have either served publicly uh, in the organization or have been involved as a community member, and I really truly feel that everyone has contributed their best and, and really tried uh, to make the community a better place. And all of those imprints, you know, make us who we are today. And I'm excited about looking forward. I'm excited and thankful the community saw the opportunity to invest in this full-service city. Um, so that we weren't having a conversation much different than the one we're having today about new programs and new investments in our community that will make it safer um, and more resilient. And uh, it's a full-service city. We have great people here. They deserve that level of service from their city government. Well, since you mentioned safety, <laughs> um, you know, safety is a big issue, and um, traffic safety is a big issue. We have so many more cars on the road and yet we're trying to implement uh, safer streets, uh, more bicycle um, and walkable, having a bike and walkable community. Um, where was I going with this? <laughs> so, yeah, I, mean, I, I, can, I, can share, I can share a contrast in, okay. in all of those desires, right? We're, we're concerned very much about the climate, as we should be. I, I was just dealing with a, a community member who raised awareness about a local school where, because of COVID protocols, there is a request that parents, you know, drop their children off at a certain time and, and not necessarily queue up in line because of COVID issues. And so what it's done is it's exacerbated a traffic condition, excuse me, because parents are now sitting in their vehicles waiting to queue to get into the school. And they're in their car because the school has asked them not to stand in a line right, and possibly expose others, and it's, you know, supposedly safer, 
and I believe that it is, but so everyone's doing what they're being asked to do for safety in the, in the name or in the sake of this pandemic, but yet it has created a whole new traffic problem. I mean, there's always traffic, you know, morning and afternoon around schools, but this has exacerbated that. And so we were addressing that, right? On one hand, why isn't everyone walking and biking to school? And part of the answer right now is, is because the school has to regulate and check everyone before they're allowed on campus. And you, you don't have that free-for-all, everybody can come in different ways. And even to ask parents to park, you know, blocks away and walk in when maybe the school's encouraging that not to happen. So, yes, I think you mentioned traffic safety has historically impacted community safety in a much greater way than crime. And, and that's true. The data shows in our history here in our community, and it's proven throughout most communities, that we kill and injure more community members in traffic-related incidents than, than we do from violent crime. And obviously, you know, when we talk about why we exist, uh, traffic safety is one of the four tenets that we focus on every day when we put the uniform on. Reducing crime, increasing traffic safety, improving the quality of life for our community members, and community engagement, much like we're doing here today. And so traffic safety is clearly one of those priorities because of that impact. And, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. You know, we have a city that, you know, when you talk about the general plan, circulation and circulation patterns were designed at a point in time to be a certain way uh, when the city was completely built out. And, you know, you want to talk about something that, you know, has been the subject of conversation over many decades, um, you know, that crosstown connector that you referenced, uh, you know, it, th those, those are challenges, right? And, you know, how do we address Petaluma today in, in the sake of circulation and safety? And we've been fortunate here to not only receive engineering grants from the California Office of Traffic Safety, but also from the federal government. Um, we've received them on the, on the police department side, and so is the fire department, right? Being able to save lives after a crash occurs it's just as important. So we have a dedicated traffic safety program uh, managed by a lieutenant, a sergeant, and uh, several officers. We've been understaffed in that specialized team uh, for a while. We're trying to build that back now. We do expect our patrol officers, when they have available time, to engage in traffic safety uh, you know, warnings and traffic citations and education. Um, we don't just, it's not an enforcement model only. We, we try to do education like we're talking about here today. And then engineering plays a huge part in that. Um, how do we design the roads to be safer? How do we create the bike lanes and the bike paths to encourage people to go from point A to point B uh, in something other than a vehicle? So there are many challenges, and I know this general plan, and thank you for participating in that process. This will be significant for us going forward, but that will be a huge part of, of what we talk about. Um, I just want to... And I'll, just, I'll end with this. You know, if you, if you get stopped <laughs> by one of my staff, uh, and I worked traffic for a long time, and, and one of the least desirable parts of our job is having to enforce traffic laws and pull people over and talk to them about their driving and, you know, hopefully not, you know, have to give someone a ticket. But it's a, it's a necessary part of, of reducing collisions is changing driving behavior, right? So statistically, they've shown studying drivers that have been stopped and given a warning versus drivers that have been stopped and issued a citation a greater impact on, on driving behavior is affected when a citation is issued versus a warning. And so they've seen drivers that receive warnings more likely to reoffend or be involved in a crash, where drivers who received a citation had a greater change in driving behavior and therefore no additional violations and no traffic collisions. So 
just a higher statistic. So it's not a revenue generator. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, there's a little bit of fees collected there. Most of it goes to the county and the state. A very small percentage of it ever comes back to the city. It is not anything that we rely on with any kind of uh, significance. Um, and there are no quotas. We don't hand out toasters. Uh, officers don't get paid based on the number of citations they write. It's all in the name of safety and uh, hopefully prevention. I, I just want to bring up um, when Joanna Pond's three daughters were hit. Um, you know, there were articles in the paper and there was concern about how it was handled. And what I didn't realize that I thought it was a woman that actually hit them. But it ended up, it's a man. But he was never, um, he wasn't drug tested. There was no testing to see if he was under the influence. And so why was that, not just that incident, but even if it happens with other incidences? Because, you know, three of your four children are hit in one intersection. It's pretty emotional for the children, the families, and even the department. Very traumatic. And the driver. And the the driver. Yeah, certainly. And thank you for recognizing that. And And I... just, you know, normal process and procedure for that is our first and foremost priority is to get to the scene, secure it, and provide uh, emergency medical aid and attention. And so at that particular scene, and I've reviewed that incident with uh, with my supervisors and managers, the officers did a very good job, so did the firefighters, of getting there safely, securing the scene, identifying who was involved. Um, two officers um, were speaking with the driver and evaluated him, and in the absence of any signs of impairment, and those are questions and steps, investigative steps that they take uh, in every collision because it's part of the investigation. Um, and so two officers dealt with the driver, um, and then other officers dealt with the scene, identified the victims, one was transported, um, others, and I, and I know you mentioned the name, but you know there's also concern because they were trying to get their other sibling at a school, so there's a lot going on at right. that scene. And we have since met with the family uh, discussed our response, um, discussed how, you know, how the services were delivered and, and where we can make some improvements. And and so it was done in a way of recognizing that it was a very traumatic incident uh, for everyone involved, um, but also realizing that sometimes when people don't have all the information, you, you can see where some of that controversy may come about. And so, again, trying to seek first to better understand what occurred having dialogue about it, sharing information about the circumstances and who did what, because the parents weren't there, and none of us were at that scene, right? But we have the ability to look back and to kind of do an after-action review, and that review showed a lot of things that we did really, really well. And based on the outcome of some of the injuries and, and some of the statements made at the scene, some things we might have been able to do a little better in terms of parent notification and communication. So... But every time, uh, impairment is something that is focused on uh, as a primary investigative step. I want to assure the public of that. Thank you. I want to circle back on something you mentioned about uh, community engagement and the importance of the department being engaged with the community. And um, over the years, things have kind of changed with social networking uh, um, and TikTok. I mean, there's, there was a post uh, recently on Nextdoor, the social next, network Nextdoor, uh, where it was a, a thread about teenagers kicking in front doors. Yes. Uh, and um, it, I'm sure you're used to the criticism that's been delivered to you on uh, multiple levels. But in this particular post, it was 
talking about the uh, PPD has a responsibility here to step in and do something about this. Uh, and uh, it goes on and talks about the fact that the PD should be monitoring the posts on Nextdoor. Well, what's your position on that? Well, first of all, an engaged community and an informed community is a safer one. And um, we uh, have for a long time uh, supported and connected and communicate on the Nextdoor platform. We believe that we have to be present uh, at every level wherever our community is engaged. And uh, this has been especially true during the pandemic when meeting in person, having town hall meetings, having coffee with a cop, uh, those in-person opportunities are limited. Social media um, is not only important outside of the pandemic, but certainly uh, the importance has been elevated significantly during during the pandemic. One of the things that's um, interesting to note is that as the owners, designers of Nextdoor, uh, originally there was some intent uh, for us to be able to monitor communication throughout the community from a public safety standpoint. But it became more of an issue for the users where they didn't necessarily want us to have that ability. And, and so now, if we have department members or city employees, because we live and work in this community, and you have a subscription on Nextdoor for your business or your home, um, you then become part of the conversation for that neighborhood that you're in. A lot of times, I think people think like Facebook or other public um, facing social media platforms that we have the ability to monitor those things. Um, we don't. And in the case of Nextdoor, if you look at all of the neighborhoods that are mapped out on the Nextdoor map for the community that we live and work in, you'll see that there are many. And unless someone within that conversation or that neighborhood um, sends us the information, uh, or we have a member that's residing in there and they're looking at next door, paying attention to the conversation, right? And you know how those conversations go, right? <laughs> a lot of information gets posted. And so something that was posted today may be really deep in the thread by tomorrow. And so even if you check, you might not see something. So we often find, and this is true on all of our social media platforms, that there's this assumption or feeling by community members that if they post it on social media, we're going to know about it. Mm -hmm. And we've been in, involved in a pretty heavy campaign for many years now to make sure the community realizes that that's not the case. And there, we have an anonymous tipping system through Nixol. We have a, a, a PPD tips email address that you can send in that goes to all supervisors in the department. Um, and then we have an emergency and non-emergency uh, police phone number. And, you know, if something's happening right now, and I would say that this particular TikTok trend was serious enough based on what was being reported, that that would be, we'd really appreciate a phone call. And, you know, mm -hmm. this is who I am. This is what I'm seeing. I'm concerned that uh, other young people in the community may be involved in a confrontation that could turn tragic, and I think we need to do something about it. When that post was shared with us, uh, I immediately sent it down through the deputy chief and to patrol, and we began evaluating all of our calls for service and looking for any reports that were similar. We found one uh, from the week prior. We also learned that that trend uh, was several months old, but for whatever reason had kind of picked up here in our community and, and picked up again. And so once we realized that and saw another call come in, 
um, we decided that it was appropriate to, to put some messaging together. And so that was the result. And so when we message out on Nextdoor, we can message to a neighborhood or we can message to the entire community, to all the neighborhoods. So we can push messaging out, but we don't receive messages through Nextdoor. There used to be a feature yeah. in Nextdoor where you could choose to share the post with the local police department. They disabled that. So it's not even an option. So we need a screenshot, a phone call, an email, something. And the hard part about emails is that while it may email all of the dispatch center, all of the sergeants, all of the supervisors in the police department, they're not always sitting in front of a computer or have their email up, right? So if you're a dispatcher, you've got you know four or five computer screens, and they're all full of information, and it may not be your email, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the best way when it's something that is needs a response immediately is to call the non-emergency number or the emergency line or 911. So you know we don't see everything that's discussed or the conversations that are occurring. We try to proactively monitor the things that we can for safety, um, but we really encourage anyone from the community that has something going on that's related to safety that the police department should know. You'll see all the time, have you reported this to the police? And a lot of times they're like, no, not yet, but I will. Mm-hmm. And we'd really appreciate if they report it. Even if we don't, even if it's not something we can respond to, we can capture it in a computer record that's based on location, circumstance, you know, keywords, and then we can begin to connect the dots when we see a pattern uh, happening in the community. But not knowing makes it difficult. And in that case, we, we weren't aware of it. And so we appreciate the fact that the community member brought it to our attention. Um, and we're thankful that they've helped us now with messaging. So, you know, it's an important point, and I'm glad you asked the question. I appreciate that answer yeah. because I remember when it was connected with the police, and I had apprehensions of your know, next door because I really wasn't sure who was monitoring and watching and, you know, so so now I just have to deal with, you know, like about 100 um, people talking about dog poop. I'd love to be in a place where uh, the level of trust and confidence, that there wasn't even a second thought about law enforcement paying attention to conversations that are probably that we probably should be paying attention to, right? right. Um, that would be a better place for me to be in. <clears throat> I would appreciate that more. But I also recognize that people, you know, bring their experiences and their perspectives and they have their feelings. And, I, you know, even if it's one person at a time, and if there's anyone out there today that, you know, we've at least shifted your perspective on that particular issue, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for seeking to better understand. Um, and it's helpful to all of us to keep Petaluma safe. I want to go into back to the schools. And recently there were threats um, for Casa Grande and I believe Kenilworth. And they're, they're like devices that you can't find who is behind those threats. So you're talking bomb threats. I'm talking about bomb threats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you can give a little bit of perspective on that, because it's very concerning. And what happens in Michigan and other states can happen here. Absolutely. And, and that's what we're seeing with this particular trend, sadly, is that that's happening across the country. And whether they're domestic actors or foreign actors, you know, it's hard to say. But there, there are ways, uh, you know, technology and our freedoms, uh, sometimes our greatest strengths are our greatest weaknesses. And, um, you know, there are some smart and clever people and 
some smart and clever criminals that until we figure out their new way of doing business uh, have wreaked a little bit of havoc across the country with school campuses and, and local public safety officials. So these threats um, are not new, um, but we don't have the luxury of assuming that they're not, you know, credible. And we still have to go through all the motions and be uh, as thorough as we can be working with our federal and state partners to try to track down uh, who's responsible for these. And in some cases, we've been able to do that, and in others, we haven't. But we will continue to try, and we will prosecute those that, that put you know, parents and students and faculty and the community through that kind of agony, worrying about whether or not this is real or not. And um, it, it causes real stress and trauma. So um, we you take it seriously. Yeah. Do you feel as though with the Casa Grande experience that your protocol has changed at all to calm parents and the community? Well, first, it's important to note, and this is maybe, again, kind of demystify uh, roles and responsibilities, kind of similar to the next door conversation we just had. Right. We certainly bring uh, to the table uh, practices and operational um, plans that deal with those types of threats. But ultimately, the action that is taken is is really, you know, it falls to the school and the school district. They have a plan as well. Mm-hmm. I think that in the absence of the number of threats like we received recently, those are things that fortunately are infrequent. And I think uh, that first incident allowed everyone, parents, faculty, <clears throat> even law enforcement, you know, to say, hey, even though we're advising and encouraging, you know, the messaging piece, which is so critical, um, you know, it, it has to be timely and we have to be thoughtful about what we're reporting. And so we all took something away. There was another incident a couple weeks later at the junior high. Mm-hmm. Totally different response and rollout. Um, but it was all, there's oftentimes things going on in the background that aren't necessarily communicated. But that doesn't mean that it makes everyone feel good and and at least have the information so they can make informed decisions. And I think that really that one really centered around communication and the timing of it, mm-hmm. let alone, um, or not to excuse or, or forget that there was, you know, a tremendous amount of resources in play and things going on to make sure that campus and all of our young souls and faculty and parents were safe. I appreciate that response because... There is a lot that goes on in the background. Just, I mean, in the background that we don't know what happens. That's the same with the city council. They have closed sessions. and But to bring that perspective, um, your perspective is important. And the fact that you said, you know, everybody learned from it. You know, that's what, to me, is the, is the most important. Um, well, you know, we, in our business, you know, looking back after an incident, we call it an after-action review, um, that's the only way we're going to get better, right? right? We... Yeah. We have policies and procedures, and we train on those. Uh, we do tabletop exercises. We do scenario-based training. But when you actually handle an incident from, you know, a high-risk traffic stop to how did we respond to a bomb threat at a local high school, there's always things that we can say, hey, this worked really well. And then there are things that are takeaways for us that we either need to change policy, adapt to in training, um, and, and find better or different ways of, of moving through that event. And that's what keeps our staff safe, keeps our community safe, and makes us better. We, we can always be better than we've been. 
And that's been the mindset that I've experienced since I've been in this organization. Um, is that we're always striving to be our best, and we can always be better than we've been. And that mindset will allow us to continue to always strive for excellence and to learn from our mistakes and not repeat them. Well, I've heard from people that there's been a lot of progress in our police department. And it's like, you know, at least 50% difference in, you know, from the time, uh, you know, from just even a few years back. And I think, you know, that's part of your leadership, which I appreciate. And, and I think it's always good to hear that people are seeing things in a positive way, that there is improvement, even with communication, whatever it is. It, it's, it's becoming more part of the community instead of that adverse reaction to community members. But I want to um, bring up the, the incident that happened the other day, because I happened to be driving home from Santa Rosa when all these sheriff's cars were flying down the freeway. And so, and then, you know, then of course, you know, we realized that there was an incident in Petaluma. And, but what was interesting is that I saw your officers are really young. Petaluma has a lot of new young officers. And do, and it looked like those were AK-47s, two of them were holding, um, you know, while they were at quarters. What, what? So they're, they're not AK-47. Okay, that's why I want to uh, know. Technically, the patrol rifle is an assault rifle. Okay. Uh, it's a it's a uh, an offensive and defensive weapon, depending on the circumstance. But it has a specific um, function in in events like that. So, in this particular case, I just want to make sure everyone knows this was a response to an armed robbery that occurred mm-hmm. in Katadi with multiple suspects that were armed. The suspect vehicle was fleeing that community and was spotted by a police car from Katadi, and a pursuit then ensued. Southbound, clearly, because they ended up in our city. Uh, the, the pursuing, uh, the pursuit uh, took the Boulevard North exit, spent some time on city streets, made its way back onto the freeway, where uh, I believe that's when a sheriff's deputy uh, or deputies picked up the pursuit. Um, it went to the Lakeville off-ramp, and somewhere along the way, the suspect's vehicle became disabled, had flat tires, and they took the off-ramp and drove to the area of Jefferson and Wilson, where they uh, foot-bailed, we call it, took off from the vehicle on foot. A witness reported that all three of them ran in a certain direction, which ended up being the primary perimeter, that kind of Wilson, Lakeville, Jefferson, Peyran, Lindbergh area. Um, and then we later learned that one of the suspects returned to the vehicle, removed a firearm, and then fled in the opposite direction, which would have been more towards, say, the river and maybe the new um, the new Marriott and the, the residential homes in that area. Very large area to try and contain. Um, when those subjects uh, foot bailed and they were armed and went into a residential neighborhood, that's when the request for emergency assistance came. Um, and that's why you saw such a response from the surrounding areas, because... Number one, we have to make sure that that perimeter is locked down. And then when we issued the shelter in place uh, and summoned uh, tactical, specially trained officers um, to come out in canine teams, we're then doing basically a yard-to-yard search, and we're looking for these armed suspects. Uh, We were fortunate that the two that were in our perimeter, we found both of them uh, after a long search, um, and we're grateful for the assistance uh, that the sheriff's office and our allied partners provided in responding to that event and not leaving them out, you know, on the loose, if you will, in our community. But it is a strong presence. Um, in those situations, um, just the difference between some of those weapons, right? So we have a patrol rifle, 
which has a much uh, greater, much farther um, reach in terms of its capabilities, where a handgun does not. A handgun, you know, you're limited uh, in, in distance and, and impact with that weapon and accuracy. So a patrol rifle uh, extends that distance, gives you farther reach uh, in the event where you encounter someone who's armed and possibly, you know, uh, uh, trying to you know, hurt someone in the community or hurt the officer. So that's why you'll see those patrol rifles deployed in an incident where someone's armed. Uh, we don't, we're not restricted to just match a knife with a knife or a handgun with a handgun, right? We never know what they're carrying, and suspects these days are carrying everything from assault rifles to, you know, everything else out there. So that's what you saw that day, and, and the officers did a great job. Um, it was frightening for a lot of community members, and I'd heard that uh, they spent a lot of time explaining to those community members why they were in lockdown in their homes and then when it was safe to come out. So thanks for asking about it. Yeah, it was um – I felt like I was there from the beginning because I was watching all these cars going down, and then all of a sudden I was over at Sleep City looking for a mattress. <laughs> and, you know, it was in the area, and my niece works there. And so, you know, we were thinking, oh, my God, should we lock down? And when I was leaving, it was dark, and I didn't want to leave her in there because we didn't know. Sure. But uh, but I don't have anything critical to say about it. I'm just was just curious about yeah, it. Yeah, just a reminder. It's just a good reminder to stay connected to us on Nixle and on our social media because when those shelter-in-place orders go out, we're informing the community what's going on so that they can take appropriate action. I got a text message a few minutes ago from a listener who wanted to know what cahoots means. So I, so it was. Um, it is a fun name. Crisis. It, so it actually uh, it, it actually had this connotation of being in cahoots with the police, and I don't have it right in front of me, but it is an acronym, and um, they were very big on making sure that when we launched our program, we had to have some name or some acronym uh, that went through it. But I'd have to Google it, and I'm, I'm sure someone can pull it up sooner than I can, but... Um, yeah, I just Googled it, but the connection's really so slow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's obviously pretty long-winded, but um, it really started from this place in, in Eugene and Springfield where they recognized that the police response wasn't appropriate and there needed to be another response. And so they said, hey, let's get in cahoots with the police and figure out a better way to serve the needs in this community, and, and that's how it was born, so... Huh. Uh, well, I have another question for you, and it's actually a couple things. I just want to um, give a kind of a shout-out to Officer Miller. When my dad was alive, I, of course, had to call the police department because he was driving, and he should not have been. I mean, it was really – he really should not have been driving. And Officer Miller came to the house, and my dad debated with him why he could drive. And at his age, he was a very good driver. And just how, um, how impressed um, I actually was the way he handled my father – and he handled it like, you know, a gentleman, just, you know, listen to what he said, but still let him know that maybe he shouldn't be driving in kind yeah. words. Um, and I, I think about that every time I see him because I remember when my dad looked at me with those eyes, it, you know, it was like he just turned those eyes to me because he sure. knew who turned him in. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. And you mentioned, uh, you mentioned seeing, you know, younger faces and newer officers, and, and we do. I mean, we have a lot of newer officers, but I'll tell you, um, I've had the privilege of not only having my team uh, review their backgrounds and have their backgrounds meet the high standards that we require to be a peace officer, I, I have the opportunity to interview each and every one of them before we consider giving them the public's trust. And we have just 
a group of great people, men and women, diverse backgrounds. They really care. And with the exception of, you know, not having as many tenured officers as, as we've enjoyed over the years, they will be there. And they have that same uh, desire to serve, that same compassion and caring. They, they are engaged in the community more than I've ever seen in my entire career. And they really want to make a difference. And so we, we are very fortunate in this community. And I would encourage anyone listening, <clears throat> when you see them, uh, they're, they're getting comfortable. Uh, they're comfortable on calls for service. They know what to do. But uh, we're all adapting to the importance of community engagement and just spending some time getting to know uh, others. And, you know, please reach out to them, say hello, uh, ask them where they're from, what they're about. You're going to see that we've been very fortunate to recruit just some great public servants here. And the future is bright uh, for a continued level of professional um, uh, well-trained, very caring and compassionate uh, peace officers here in this community. So very excited about that. I want to give them a big thanks for doing this yeah, important work. Great. Yeah, thanks. Uh, my internet just came back up. Cahoots is crisis assistance helping out on the streets. And, there you go. Yeah, and Cahoots, just so you know, Jude, is a program in Eugene, Oregon, which the city of Petaluma modeled after uh, yep. in creating the SAFE program. Exactly. Thanks for looking up that acronym. Yeah, that was awesome. That. I, yeah. I want to bring up one other thing is PTSD and police officers. And, you know, I my brother was in Vietnam, and he was a gunner in the Marines. And, and I lived through Vietnam when I was in junior high. And there was one incident. We hadn't heard from him for three weeks, and he ended up getting a Bronze Star for that incident. And what it was a big battle. And he brought this one helicopter down. It, it crash-landed. The second helicopter made it down, took the wounded away, and that helicopter is now back in Baltimore. And my brother went, um, was part of that, and those pilots still remembered him. But my, how PTSD is tying into this is that I really look at a police officer, and I feel like because watching my brother maneuver through his life after Vietnam with PTSD, officers go through that every day. And Absolutely. I think sometimes people don't realize what an officer goes through, um, and I'm looking forward to our younger department, um, um, just a younger department with kind of a different view, and uh, it's a hard subject, the PTSD. It is a hard subject. It's, it's a very real subject, though, and, I'll, and I'll, I know we yeah. don't have much time left, but I yeah. want to briefly respond to that. Mm-hmm. and. I can tell you right now there are officers in our department and and in most departments across this country that are suffering right now. And we are doing our very best to be sure that they have the resources um, and the support to help them through this. This job is very difficult. If you're a first responder and the things that you go to and you see and you smell and you feel and the emotion that you take on when you get to a scene trying to console someone, it all adds up. And it doesn't have to be one specific tragedy. Uh, it's, a, it's an accumulation of, of difficult calls, day after day, week after week, year after year. And so I was interviewed recently by the RAND uh, study, and when they were done questioning me as the police chief in Petaluma, California, I said, why, how did you get me? How did you get the police chief in Petaluma, California? And they said, we have access to workers' comp data. And, and in my tenure, and you know, 30-something years around law enforcement, never have I seen the uh, number of stress-related mental health 
claims uh, that we are experiencing now. It has impacted our department significantly. Um, I think a lot of that is exacerbated by the fact that as a city, we've been under-resourced for many years, a lot of that due to uh, a lack of revenue to do more. And so you have a, you've had a very thinly stretched um, group of men and women who are then going to those calls uh, more frequently with less time to be off and to process and to work through that. And we are, we recognize that in other parts of the country, police suicide has impacted many organizations. And we're thankful that in our organization, people have asked for help, but we also know that there are a lot of people that need help right now. And our, our job and the job of our community should be to support those first responders and encourage them to get the help they need because we need them. You know, if, if they don't process some of this stuff, it will manifest itself in other ways that will not be good for them. And then in turn, they can't perform their vital function in their job. So um, I appreciate you bringing it up. It's a very real issue. And I know um, the city and the city council and uh, our HR department, and, and we're all trying to do whatever we can for all of our city employees, but certainly those first responders who are, are on the front lines and don't really have a choice about going to something that most people would never even imagine going to or dealing with. Well, and, and that's so, why I brought up my brother, his experience, and even as a family, what we dealt with, and that recognition of, of your position, your job. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I'm hoping to have you back another time to talk about the Committee on Race, because I really wanted to talk about that but there's really not enough time. So. Well, and I'll just, I'll just comment on that briefly if I can. Sure. So we've, we've come off of a seven-month uh, process with a great group of community members, and they've provided recommendations. Those recommendations are going to council on the 13th, so I'd invite anyone who's listening to join in. Um, but that public conversation uh, is continuing, and so we've asked for everyone to be engaged and to listen to the results of all that important work. Thanks for asking about it. I'm happy to come back. Thank you. Yes, yes. There's always lots to talk about. There's always lots to talk yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, okay. You've been listening to Inside Petaluma. Uh, I'm Cindy Thomas uh, here co-hosting with Janice Peter Thompson, and today our guest has been Petaluma Police Chief Ken Savano. Again, thank you, Ken, for being here. Great. Thank you. Thank you, everyone in the community. Appreciate the support. Okay. So we will be back next Friday. Oh, exciting. I, I actually see you. Look at I can even I know, it's just so weird being here. <laughs> it's really weird, but I love it. It's so much, I know. Actually, I feel much calmer. I know. Uh, being on the air than sitting in, you know, my room at home on Zoom. Yeah. Worrying that my dog is going to bark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Anyway, uh, we'll be back again next Friday. We're here every Friday from 11 to noon here on KPCA 103.3 FM. We also stream live at kpca.fm. And should you wish to listen to any of our past shows, including this one, uh, go to our website at InsidePetaluma.com and the archives page will present you with the option of either downloading a, an MP3 file or you can listen via podcast. Um, also, we are on Facebook at KPCA Inside Petaluma, so make sure you go like us there. As, as I always say, Janice and I are very likable, aren't we? Uh, of course we are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we didn't get to talk about parking and traffic today. No, we, we Oh, you're coming back. You're coming back. Not done. You're coming back. <laughs> <We're> not done. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, Chief. And we will see you all again next Friday. Everybody take care. Bye.